The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. What a great time of worship, preparing to study God's Word. And I want to begin just by asking the question, do you ever ask, well, God, what is your will for my life? Anyone ever struggle with, with that question? God, what, do you, what is your will for my life? Uh, if so, you're uh, speaking or looking, listening to a uh, sufferer, a fellow sufferer. For the first seven years of my career, I averaged a job a year for seven years. Yeah, that's messed up. I mean, that just tells you that I got something going on that's just not right in my head. I was trying to figure out, God, what is your will for my life? And I'd try different jobs, and it just wasn't, it wasn't feeling right. And so I know what it's like to feel like you just want to know God's will for your life, and uh, it's those who knew me back then are, it's nothing short of a miracle that I've been in the ministry 15 years now. And that just shows you God can show you, uh, where he wants you. But today I hope that our study of Paul's, uh, life, uh, you know, at the beginning of a letter, he gets personal and kind of says, Hey, listen, this is who I am. I, I am a, an ambassador of the gospel at the end of the letter. He's closing out getting personal again. And so today we're going to look at God's will in Paul's life, and I, I pray that if you wondering, if you're wondering what God's will is for your life, and you're trying to figure that out, that this will go uh, be very helpful. Uh, that it'll help bring peace to your mind on the, the the confusion that comes when you're searching out that that question, and just bring uh, a clarity and a confidence. and And most importantly, uh, I, I pray that it brings a conviction uh, that you know. God's will for your life. Let me ask the Lord to do that. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. I pray uh, most importantly that, that we will clearly understand your will for our lives, uh, that we will have a, uh, a clear, uh, a peaceful rest in our heart about your will for our lives. But most importantly, I pray that your spirit will bring about a powerful conviction in our heart um, that we see the revealed will of God for our lives and that we orient all that we do around that will. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at verses 14 through 24 of chapter 15 in Romans. And in these verses, we're going to look at three aspects of God's will for Paul in his life. And the first thing we see is that we see Paul was a member of the gospel priesthood. The gospel priesthood. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God, that grace that was given to me was to, therefore, that I would be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest to the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So in these verses, we see that Paul views himself, having received the gospel of grace, that after being a, 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 a persecutor of the faith, a, a, a religious leader in the Jewish faith, a hater of Christ and his followers... Now he is one who says, I am a priest of the gospel. 
He says, the grace of God has so transformed my life that now I understand God's will for my life is that I would be a priest of the gospel, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, the very Gentiles that I was persecuting because of their following of Christ. And so what is a priest? What does Paul mean when he says, I am a priest of the gospel? Well, Paul is referring to what in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the the Jewish priests were set apart by God. The word sanctified means to literally be set apart by God. And so the Old Testament priests were set apart by God of a certain family tribe of, of Israel. They were the priests of the Levites. And they had a ceremonial, extremely complex ceremonial washing and and garments. And so they were clearly set apart, different from the rest of the people. And their job was to dedicate their lives to the service at the temple. And, And that is the place of worship of God. And so the people would bring their animal sacrifices and their offerings to the priests. And the priests would lay those offerings on the altar and the, they would burn them, depending on what type of offering it was. And the smoke would rise as aroma to the worship of God. And so their lives were set apart by God to make offerings of worship to God on behalf of the people. And so Paul says, now... By my faith in Christ, I have been transformed by the grace of God that now I am a priest. Now, what you got to understand is, to Jewish listeners, this would be very strange to hear Paul who came many years after Jesus, Jesus who fulfilled the priesthood, Jesus who gave his own life and blood as the final sacrifice and perfect and holy God-man sacrifice for sins. He fulfilled all that the priesthood was pointing to, all the sacrifices pointed to him, the priesthood pointed to him. And he said, it's finished. I've taken care of sin once and for all. And so he fulfilled the priesthood. And so there was no longer a need for priesthood of that type. And so for Paul, coming after Jesus, who's worshiping Jesus, who has been transformed by Jesus as the great high priest, for him to say, now I am a gospel priest would catch your attention. But what does he say his offering is? He says, I'm offering Gentile converts to God. He's saying that when I go out and share this same gospel message of the grace of God, that you're made right with God, not through your efforts, not through your works, but by his efforts and his works on your behalf. He said it transforms you. And that transformed Paul from Saul to Paul, who now says, my life, my purpose, God has set me apart. He has distinguished me from others. And my role is to offer to God spiritual offerings, living sacrifices, not dead sacrifices. He didn't kill animals and offer dead sacrifices. He offered people who said, my life is lived in obedience to God as worship to God. So Paul says, I've been set apart by God to offer to God believers who lay their lives down in worship of God. Now, this should sound very familiar to Romans 12.1. When he wrote Romans 12.1 just a few verses earlier, he, he says this very words. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And Paul says, that's what my life calling is, is to bring that about in people's lives. 
that we as believers in Christ lay our lives on the altar of God and we are not killing ourselves to God, but living daily, dying to self to the glory of God. Saying, my life is not my own. My will is not my own. My will is God's will. So Paul says God's will for his life was to be a priest of the gospel, a minister of the gospel, to help other people lay their lives down in service to the glory of God. And so we might be sitting here thinking, well, how does that help me discern God's will for my life? Well, we need to understand that God's will for your life is very similar in the fact that all of us are called to be a royal priesthood of the gospel. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you also, now if you're a believer in Christ, he's speaking to you. And to many of us who grew up Catholic or or other denominations who've seen uh, priests in our faith who have a very different service and a very different life than us, this is kind of mind-bending. But Paul says, Peter says, you as believers in Christ, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, he goes on, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You're not your own. You are God's possession. You have been made righteous. You have been made holy. You have been set apart. You are part of a royal priesthood called to do the very same thing that we just talked about Paul saying he was called to do. And so we're not to think about God's will in just some mysterious terms. We should understand our identity is royal priesthood. If you're in Christ, he has declared you a member of the royal priesthood. So as you consider, God, what is your will for my life? You must first say, His will for your life is that you be a royal priest. That you are set apart for this very work of God. The very work that God is doing all throughout creation. The reason God has created this earth. And the reason God sent Jesus to die on the cross for sins and raised from the grave. Was to recruit priests wherever you are. The reason God has saved you was to plant a priest in that workplace, to plant a priest in that family, to plant a priest over that household, to be a member of the royal priesthood who goes out into the world and brings people to worship God with their lives. It's going to look different in every one of our lives, the the fleshing out of this. In Paul, we see some of how this was fleshed out in verse 14. Much of his ministry was a writing ministry, a ministry of the word through writing. He has a brilliant mind and a great writer. His logic is unbelievably excellent. And he would write explaining the depths of the gospel. And here he says, listen, church. You guys get it. You're filled with knowledge. You understand. And you're able to even admonish one another. That's great. He says, but I have to write to you to remind you of some things very boldly. I have to teach you some things, remind you of some things you already knew, some hard truths. He's saying, listen, you you guys got to remember some hard truths. And I'm speaking these truths to you boldly, but in love. What are those truths? He's been crushing their pride. With the gospel of grace. 
I mean, that's a huge part of his ministry has been saying to remember the just let's review just briefly what we've read, what we've learned in the book of Romans. He said, listen, every single one of us is on the same humble level ground. We are all sinners. Remember, he said, whether you're an atheist who hates God, an agnostic who says, I don't want to think about God, or a moralist who says, I'm better than others, so I'm good with God, or, or, or maybe a religious person who says, I'm good with God because I'm religion. He says, all of us are sinful. All of us are equally separated from God. All of us are in desperate need of the grace of God. So every single one of those categories of people is pridefully exalting themselves over the rest. And Paul's just knocking the legs out from under us saying, every one of us is sinful and in desperate need of the grace of God. That's a hard truth that he had to speak boldly to remind them, quit exalting yourselves over one another. He was saying to them, we've more recently seen, he says, listen, you quit You who feel free in Christ to do certain things and others don't feel free. Quit judging, quit despising, quit looking down on one another. Quit doing that. Be one in Christ. The spirit of Christ in me greets the spirit of Christ in you. We have unity in the love and mercy and grace of Christ. Quit exalting and condemning and judging. This should be a place of loving acceptance based in the grace of Jesus Christ. Those are hard things to tell people. But that's a large part of what his ministry as a priest of the gospel has been. Writing to people truths of God's word that they already know, but reminding them of these hard truths and doing it courageously and boldly and doing it with love. Did you know we have the exact same ministry? Paul has been saying, admonish one another, teach one another, encourage one another with the things of God that you already know. That is a big part of the scripture says the reason that we come together as believers is to minister the word of God to each other. The primary two responsibilities of the leaders of the church is the ministry of prayer and the word of God. We all are members of this royal priesthood if we are believers in Christ. And so when we say, God, what is your will for my life? He says, whether you are thinking of yourself as a mom, a dad, a brother, sister, a husband, wife, an employer, an employee, one massive aspect of your job, no matter what you do, is this identity that you, if you are in Christ, are a priest. Whatever you do, it is a means of extending the priesthood. It is to take the gospel of grace wherever he has planted you. So as you think about the will of God for your life, do you understand that if you are in Christ, you're a priest? We've got to think about ourselves the way God thinks about us in order to do our jobs, whether we're artists or a nurse or a teacher or a plumber or a lawyer or a financial planner, whatever it is, we do it as members of the royal priesthood. And that should drastically change our view of the will of God for our life. So Paul understood that one major aspect of the will of God for his life is that he is a royal priest, a member of the gospel priesthood. The second aspect we see is gospel proclamation. Look at verses 17 through 19. He says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting. What? I thought it was wrong to boast. Well, I'm boasting, he says, in the things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of 
anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Gospel proclamation. Paul knew that God's will for his life was that he proclaim the gospel. He says, fully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in word and deed, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, that's what God has called me to do. Region after region. Paul knew his calling was to be a church planter among unreached people, not to be a church pastor of existing churches. He says, I know this is what God wants for me. Now, what's the massive component there? The proclamation of the gospel. And so Paul knew God had called him to proclaim the gospel fully, both word and deed, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, what did that look like for Paul? Paul was an apostle. He had a unique role. He was one of the handful of individuals that the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ personally met them and commissioned them for the gospel. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ personally commissioned them for the gospel. That's what the apostles did. And they were continuing. The the, the church was established on the teachings and writings of the apostles. Their word was carried the authoritative word of God, much like the Old Testament prophets did. And what they said became inscripturated. They became the word of God to us, the New Testament. They said, I saw Jesus. I saw him dead, very resurrected. And this is his message that carried with them the word of God. It carried the authority of the word of God. And so God, wherever they went, when they taught and spoke this gospel of grace, not of works... When they said, good news, the kingdom of God has come and you are participants in the kingdom by grace through your faith in the king, Jesus Christ, not by your own efforts, but by his efforts. God then gave them amazing works of miracles that were signposts pointing to the authenticity of their message. God validated their message with miraculous power so that that authenticated their message. And so everybody knows, okay, this is truth. They have an authority that is not normal. And it testified to the power of God in their message. And so wherever they went, they were establishing churches, establishing the foundation of what we are doing here today. This church was built on the gospel of grace based on the validated word of these apostles who saw the resurrected God-man and who taught them this message. That was his unique calling. And so we say, well, then what does that have to do with God's will for my life? Well, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he said, listen, you guys, it's good that I'm going to heaven. It's good that I'm leaving you because you're going to do many, many great, greater works than I was ever able to do. Why? He says, because I'm sending you the Spirit of God. Instead of being encapsulated in just the flesh of Jesus, he will live in every single believer. And he says, now go therefore into all nations, 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my commands. And lo, I am with you because all authority in heaven has been given to me and I give it to you. So the apostles took this gospel and their whole purpose was to make disciples who brought glory to God with their lives in obedience of faith. And Paul said, that's what I'm doing is bringing about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. And Jesus says, if you're in Christ, it's the exact same will of God for your life. That you, and literally it says, as you are going. Paul was a tent maker. You may be an artist, a teacher, a plumber, a nurse, an attorney, whatever it is. A mother, a father, husband, wife. As you are doing that, you are to be making disciples. Offering them to the glory of God. Teaching them the obedience of faith. Teaching them the gospel message of grace. If you are asking God, what is your will for my life? It must begin with the identity that you are a gospel priest. And you have been called to the gospel proclamation. Wherever you are. Is that how we think about ourselves as we do our job? Final aspect we see of Paul's, God's will in Paul's life is he had gospel priorities. And this is where it really gets hard. In verse 20, we see the gospel priorities. He says, and thus I aspired. What do you aspire to do? Your aspirations get at your heart. They get at what you really dream about, what you long for. Paul says, here's what I aspire to do. I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ is already named. So I'm not building on another man's foundation. But as it is written, and he quotes Isaiah, they who had no news of him shall see. And they who have not heard shall understand. He says, it's for this reason I've often been prevented from coming to you. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. In these verses, we see the gospel priorities overriding Paul's personal desires. He says, I aspire to preach the gospel where they have never heard the gospel like I see in Isaiah who prophesied that that will be done, that those who knew no news of the gospel, who did not understand, they will. And he says, how will they? God has called me to do that. And he says, I want to go to Rome. I want to see you. When you look at the beginning of this letter, Romans 1, 9 through 14, you hear Paul's personal desires to go to Rome, to be encouraged by them, to encourage them, to just hang with some believers who aren't trying to put him in prison, who aren't trying to whip him and beat him and flog him and and mock him. He just wants a break. Listen to what he says in Romans 1, 9 through 14. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. He is my witness 
as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to see you. Please, God, let me go see you. For I long to establish, I long to see He says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you. While among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren. I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. He desperately longs to see them, to encourage them, and to be encouraged by them. And he's pleaded, God, please. And he's been prevented. How has he been prevented from coming to see them? What's what's keeping him from going to Rome and hanging with believers for encouragement and nourishment? What What is so important that is keeping him from there? He tells us in our text today, verse 22. This gospel this aspiration to preach the gospel to the unreached. Verse 22, For this reason I've been prevented from coming to you. I want to see you, but I've got to preach the gospel to those people who've never heard. The gospel is priority in this man's life. Even over his desires for good things. Is the gospel priority In our life. No. I'll answer it for us. Most of us I can say. I doubt it. Not for me. As I have wrestled more lately. About the will of God for my life. To my own disgust. And I'm trying to fight it back. Oh I don't want to go there again. I don't want to think like that. I don't want to be that way. But the church is planted. A foundation for Norris Ferry has been planted. And I'm feeling a little bit of the craziness coming back. And I'm like God please. I don't want to get crazy again. He says to me today. First of all. Your calling is number one. To be a gospel priest. Number two, at the same time, is to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And number three, don't ever let anything take priority of your life other than the gospel priorities. In verse 22, we see that it took priority in Paul's life, even over some very good, passionate desires. But I want you to go back to Acts 20. I had a really good time. I encourage you this week, if you want to spend some sweet time in the Word, go back to Acts 20 and read about Paul's. It's more of a historical account of Paul's journeys on these missionary journeys. And, and it's just powerful. Paul was in uh, basically Corinth writing this letter to Romans, to the Roman church. And while he's there, he calls the elders over from Ephesus. I may, he may have moved on, but right around that part of the text of, of 20 verse 3 and 4 and 5, and then later he's recording about, Luke's recording about what was going on. And he calls the elders from Ephesus. Now, what is Ephesus? It was a town where God had brought Paul. 
Paul preached the gospel, ecclesia, the church, that's the Greek word for church, that means the called out one. So God called out people with that gospel message, they called them to Christ, and they felt they they have a fellowship in Christ, a union in Christ, they're called out of, of the world and into Christ, and they're baptized, and now they are in a new community, they are Christians. And Paul says, I'm moving on now, but you're able to teach one another. And here's an elder, a pastor who will teach you and feed you and shepherd you. And I'm going to another part of this region and I'm going to preach the gospel. And God's going to validate it with power and miracles. He's going to draw people to the gospel and he's going to plant another church there. I'm going to establish an elder to shepherd and teach you. And I'm moving on to another region. And so he's over here, and he calls those elders from Ephesus, and he says, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. And he says, listen, I have been constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Listen to that language. I have been constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Those of you who are fellow sufferers in the will of God, hear that language and go, yes, what does that mean? Constrained by the Spirit to go somewhere. That's what I want. What constrained him to go to Jerusalem? What was so constraining in the spirit of God for him to say, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I can't go to Rome and see my friends because of the gospel has to be spread. But I am constrained to go to Jerusalem for this purpose. What constrained him? What does that mean? Look a few verses down from our text today in Romans 15, 25 and 26. He tells us what constrained him, what this mystical experience was of the Spirit constraining him to Jerusalem. Romans 15, 25 and 26. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. He knew the saints in Jerusalem were impoverished and destitute. And so he's got an offering from these believers and he's going to Jerusalem to help. This dude is gripped by the gospel. His life is dominated by gospel priority. When he wants to hang and take a break with the brothers, he says, no, I've got to preach the gospel here. I've got to get money to these poor. His life is dominated by the overriding gospel priorities in his life. Father, forgive me. Finally, I want to go even deeper into his life and his mind and his heart. What makes him tick, though I really don't want to go there because it's so convicting. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, we get a little deeper look into Paul's heart, into Paul, into God's will for Paul's life. And how the gospel transformed Paul's priorities. Paul says in Romans 20, or Acts 20, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. Well, except for this. 
the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. But I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul has been so transformed, so captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more we understand how wicked and sinful we were, I know it's so politically incorrect to talk about, but we've got to understand this first. We are wicked apart from Christ. But in Christ, we're priests, we're saints, we're perfect. I'm boasting about us and boasting about what Christ has done in us. And when we get that, to the extent we get that, we sell out. My life is not my own. I've been purchased by the blood of the king. He died for me. He owns me. Whatever you want, God, it's yours. And if it means sacrificing, if it means costing me some things, if it does, then so be it. You're worth it. That's what Paul has experienced in his life. My life is not my own. I have got to finish the course. I will spend the rest of my life proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a gospel priest proclaiming the gospel and never losing gospel priority in my life. If you're wondering, what is God's will for your life? We, that, the, the thing that gets me messed up is when I get so concerned about the, the secret will of God. Newsflash, he's not going to tell us. Every now and then he'll be gracious and give us little nudges, but the, that's the exception over the rule. The, the part that we should be so obsessed with, instead of obsessed with obtaining that secret will of God, he has a will. He is providentially guiding and working. He's not this deistic God who winds you up and removes. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying he knows it and we don't. But he says, instead of obsessing over that part, obsess over the part I've told you. You're a gospel priest to proclaim the gospel and maintain gospel priorities in whatever you do. And in that, there's great joy and freedom. You can almost say, as long as you're not getting into sin, do whatever you want to do. If those are your priorities, you are free to do it to the glory of God. Enjoy it to the glory of God. Proclaim His name wherever you are. Whatever you're doing from 8 to 5, it is done with those priorities, with that mindset, with that identity that you are a priest of the gospel, then go do it. Do it to the glory of God. There is great joy and freedom in that knowing the will of God for your life. I just pray God teach us to have that kind sold out, reckless, abandoned heart that we see Paul having for the glory of God. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we
We thank you for showing us in Paul's life your will for all of us. Though we have unique roles to play, uh, that, that it takes some discernment and figure out and circumstances and confirmation of godly counsel and scripture. But ultimately, Lord, may we obsess over knowing the revealed will of God for our life. That we would obsess over knowing we are gospel priests called to gospel proclamation and to maintain gospel priorities in every role that we have on this earth. God, would you just give us such an overwhelming sense of awe in the gospel that this calling to sell out, this calling to die to self would not be death, but would be life for us. That we would experience the joy and the freedom of fully embracing the gospel priorities in all things. That our lives, that we would be a people who bring glory and honor to your name by the joyful sacrifice, the joyful self-denial as a people. Lord, that's something that we need you to work your grace into our hearts by your spirit, that we need you to transform us bit by bit as we spend time in your presence and in your word and praying and with believers. Lord, would you make us more this way, day in and day out? May we be consumed by the fire of the glory of God, that we are a flame for your purposes. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.